Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, I discuss the hydraulic animatronic T-Rex puppet from Jurassic Park and the time it channeled the real-life dinosaur it's modeled after and almost ate someone. After that, Brett talks about some stuff. We're keeping things close to the chest. We want to surprise you. I know usually you, the listener, know what content we're discussing, but this time, you're in the dark with me. So, if you want to know what a CMDE is, stay tuned. Cue the theme song. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. I know what you're going to say. Dang it. See, I I knew you were going to ask me that because you seem to start the show that way. And I don't think I have anything. I don't know. I don't know how I am right now. I think I'm good. It's kind of a format thing at this point. Yeah. And it's (laughs) probably mostly rhetorical. It is. It's nice of you to check in on me, though. I appreciate it. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty great. Um, You know, kind of like you, nothing spectacular to report, but life is good and I'm happy. Nice. And uh, that's all that matters, right? Yes. That's it. You know, I did a lot of one wheeling <laughs> yesterday. So I did, you know, I haven't been on the one wheel bin at work for an extended period of time and I'm home and I definitely hit the one wheel. Um, so that was nice. How many miles did you get in? Uh, maybe like two or three, but there was another guest at Camp V with a one wheel and he's like a big one wheel guy. Uh, Bree and I actually were in Telluride a few weeks ago. And there was an event in Telluride where people ride their bikes down the street naked. So we were like hanging out with some friends at a restaurant next to the sidewalk and saw this like event. It's like, you know, a bunch, it, there's like, I don't know, 30, 40 people that just like cruise down the street super fast, all on their bikes, all completely uh, without clothes. But then leaving Telluride, Sure enough, we had just met this guy at Camp V with his one wheel. We see him cruising like super fast, just riding the pavement like it is like a wave and he is like a Hawaiian surfer. And he had this leopard print robe, like a wizard's robe that was flapping (laughs) behind him. He looked very cool. And uh, I don't think I've ever looked that cool on my one wheel. But but yeah, so the same guy we got to ride around a little bit last night and... It was a lot of fun. I thought you were going to say he was naked, except he was, he was not. wearing helmet and wrist guards. <laughs> <laughs> How about that look? That's, <laughs> I mean, for safety, for protection. I know. Yeah. You can never be too safe. That's true. I got up early this morning, and uh, my daughter, Isla, she just started a swim class, and it's over at the rec center. It's like two miles away. So I uh, one-wheeled Violet, the little one, in her oh, stroller nice. all the way over to the rec center to to go to the swim class it was pretty awesome now i feel like there's probably like a seven or eight mile range all the way around my house where i can pretty much hit anything in that range and get back so now i know all of the neighborhoods all like the side streets and the shortcuts how to get to every single park all the stuff through the green space like i know all of it like i can see every neighborhood around here like it's an aerial map in my mind because i've one wheeled it's just like being outside on the one wheel Gives you su- such a different connection to the environment than driving in a car. Oh, 100%. I've driven places 
for years, and I'm like, I couldn't tell you really anything other than this one route I take. No, definitely. But on the one wheel, like, I just know everything around here. It's really awesome. You know, I did have a little bit of an epiphany. I don't think we've talked about this, but um, you'll probably know more about there. There's this graph. I think it came from that flow state psychologist we've talked about before. Mihail chick sent me off, or maybe the um, maybe one of the other ones. Um, but there's like a you have to be challenged in like an activity or a sport, but it can't be too far out of your ability levels. There's like a sweet spot of all right. Hit flow. Yeah, to hit flow. It's just like um, you know. Uh, this optimal condition. Um, I feel like one wheeling is like, it's so it's always in that sweet spot. It's like not that hard, but it's not that easy either. It's like always right in the middle and you can find like little challenges on every ride to like push yourself a little bit, but you can also just cruise. So it really, it's like, if it was too easy, it wouldn't be fun. But if it was too hard, it also wouldn't be as fun. Like it's, it's just right in the middle. Bullseye. It's like a, total flow state vehicle because it's not hard to ride but what i like doing is if there's like uh cracks in the pavement or like on a sidewalk and there are little puffs of grass sticking up i always try to carve back and forth around them imagining those things are like landmines yeah back and forth so they're always like flowing around it to me that the one wheel feels like riding powder on a snowboard but on concrete totally so it's very different out here at camp v we don't have these smooth sprawling perfectly flat sidewalks to cruise on i do some when i go down to the pond there's a little stretch of road um and it does remind me how much i enjoy the floating sensation of it on smooth pavement but i have really started to fall in love with like the rocks the grass the dirt the gravel like i'm definitely getting better at it and it's definitely like a different style of riding for sure you're like jake soley in avatar I fell in i fell in love with the forest yeah, exactly uh so do you have a smooth wheel on your one wheel? I do. Um, I have thought about doing the uh, the off-road wheel at some point when I need to change tires. But honestly, the smooth tire like works pretty well on everything except for like soft dirt on a hill. Like it's it's it works pretty hill well. Hill is the worst. And you can change, you know, uh, changing the uh, tire pressure. Uh, that definitely changes the ride performance a lot. So I I, I drop it a little bit for off-roading. Uh, speaking of that, I was just on a ride. I met this guy, this older guy in my uh, neighborhood who was on a one wheel and I was at the park with Violet and I was like, Violet, we got to go talk to this guy. Cause there's not a whole lot of one wheels around here. So anytime I see one, I always go talk to him. And he told me that he was one wheeling in this area, like out by our house. There's a, there's a big open green space. There's like a, a little Creek and a lake. And he said he was down by the lake. He was riding down the hill and this like freak like 50 mile an hour gust of wind hit him and it pushed him down the hill and he w- ended up going, burying the nose and going over the proverbial <gasps> handlebars. Oh my God. He said that it, Wait, he, he said was, that he it was riding down the hill. Yes. Oh, and geez. this microburst hit him. Boom. And some crazy storm that rolled through. And he said he went over, over the front end. Wow. He, it broke his helmet. <gasps> he said that it cracked his jaw. He was unconscious for like 20 minutes and nobody found him. He said, "Luckily, he he woke up and he was able to, you know, get out of there and ride back, and then go to the the hospital and get himself checked out." But that's uh, that's got to be like one of the craziest one wheel stories I think I've ever heard, honestly. You know, I I respect the board for as the action sport 
vehicle that it is. I mean, it's an action sport, and I like I'm I try to be pretty cautious. I kind of stopped wearing wrist guards, but I think I'm got to keep doing that because I don't want to be uh, injured. I definitely <laughs> lost my wrist guards. Yeah, so they're no longer being used. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> well, before we get into off top, uh, I got a few things. The first thing is it's been a while since we've uh, sent a shout out to the audience, but we. I, and I'm sure Brett also feels this way, we would love uh, to put a, you know, a, a shout out to you guys to share the show. Uh, our audience is probably our greatest resource as far as getting the word out about the show. So if you guys do love the show, tell a friend. We would truly appreciate that. We love all of our audienceologists out there. Exactly. Listenologists. Listenologists. So if you're a listenologist and you love our take on content, tell a friend that you think might also like it. So and yeah, go ahead. Well, that that kind of leads into my next thing is I also want to ask the audience for their recommendations. So we have been subtly and unofficially teaching contentology this last <laughs> year and a half against Harvard's Harvard's insistence that this coveted information can only be gained through their dare I say a little overpriced contentology <laughs> doctorate program, right? So. Since we are putting everything on the line by going against Harvard, we want something back. I and Brett, I'm assuming, haven't cleared this with you yet, but I want to hear some audience recommendations also. So share the show. Also email us. We will check the email on a timely basis and uh, send us, message us your recommendations. Enlighten us as to the kind of things that you like. Uh, I just really want to hear what kind of content the listeners love. I love that. And I also love the uh, the fan engagement that we get um, on a pretty consistent basis, whether it's through email or a little bit on social media. Um, also, uh, just like some personal texts, um, whether it's something that uh, somebody checked out. But one I did want to share with you, one very specific one, Tara, uh, our uh, Bri and I's very good friend. She's out in Texas. But Tara... Uh, is kind of like one of my like true crime. Uh, she shares my love of true crime. And so during the pandemic, we texted a lot. And it was a lot of like weird, macabre, like true crime docu-series recommendations. Well, she reached out out of the blue. And, uh, and I'm not even sure how often she listens to the show. But she, it was a screenshot of my social media post with the uh, kitty cat. Can I please eat that human now? And Tara said, dude... We pulled two cats into our program whose owner killed himself. He wasn't found for two weeks, but when he was, his cats had been eating him. So there you go. Tales from real life. I probably should have cleared this with her first before we get on the show. (laughs) Make sure I'm allowed to... Allowed to share this with you. I'll, I'll check with her before we publish this, but... Anyway, I, I kind of told her, I was like, I hope it didn't come across as we were making light of something uh, kind of messed up and macabre. But she was saying, no, I mean, it's just a real life example to, to back us up. So it does happen. So thanks, Tara, for reminding us that life is truly terrifying. That it is. And having little tiny predators in your house, also kind of scary. Wow, we are yes. having some incredible thunder here right now. Oh, really? Oh, we had some yeah. lightning, but uh, fortunately, Woo. I think it's going to avoid us, but I guess you never know. If it sounds like the sky is cracking open on my end, that's what it's doing. It's okay. cracking right open. 
Opening uh, up a so, can of thunder ass. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You should have workshopped that one. Uh, you ready to do some off top? Absolutely. I can't wait to hear what you got for me. So I'm assuming since you were about, I'm guessing, three years old or so when Jurassic Park came out in 1993, you did not see it in the theater, right? Oh, my God, dude. I love that you're about to talk about Jurassic Park because not only was it on (laughs) in TV in my hotel room and I just watched a snippet of it, I watched, um, there's a great Netflix show, The Movies That Made Us. It's kind of like The Toys That Made Us. But Jurassic, the Jurassic Park episode was fantastic. It's that's such a great movie. It stood the test of time. It changed CG forever. I'll shut up now. But yes, I loved Jurassic Park. No, I didn't see it in theaters, but I've always loved it. I mean, it's fantastic. I I was thirteen when it came out, and I just uh, kind of did the math. I think I'm about ten years older than you, but um, I saw it thirteen times in the theater. There's kind of a beautiful symmetry to that. Yes, there to is. How nerdy of a child I was. Uh, but I always assumed watching it that, uh, the practical T-Rex robot they used on set probably looked scary, but actually represented very little danger to the people oh. that were working with it. Are you going to tell the story boy- about the, uh, the car scene? Uh, well, it, uh, not, it's okay. more about behind the scenes before they get there, but let me just say, boy, howdy, was I ever wrong? Yeah. Cause that thing apparently was extremely dangerous. <laughs> So, did you ever hear about the time that the T Rex robot almost ate a guy? Whoa! I no. I I I hope you, I have a story for you, but it's not this one. Well, we should swap some okay. T Rex stories. I love it. Uh, so the the T Rex scene it took up the last three weeks of principal photography on the set. Uh, it was all dedicated to filming the uh, the car attack and. This gigantic puppet was built by Stan Winston Studios, which is where I got this story. They have this really awesome blog. I'll share that. I'll share it in the show notes. But uh, Stan Stan Winston Studios built the T Rex and they shipped it to Warner Brothers without its outer skin attached, so the puppet puppet operators could test the hydraulics before shooting. And one of the technicians, Alan Scott, this is a quote from him. He said, "We had to actually pull the skin on, glue it down from the inside, and sew it all up once we were there." The skins were so long, you could only reach in a couple of feet from either end. And so there was this whole section in the middle that you could only glue down by crawling into the armature. It had to be done in the sculpted position, too. So the T-Rex had to be powered up to hold it in that pose. And if you've ever seen pictures of this puppet without its skin, which again are in this blog, you can check it out, uh, you know it's just a bunch of hydraulics and metal sheets that oh move God. and slide and shear against each other at like three thousand psi, probably. Like, yeah. So basically, it's a very bad place for a person to be if it starts moving. And uh, Alan Scott, he said that he volunteered to climb in with glue and a brush and assemble the puppet from the inside. Which honestly, I think if I was working on the set, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll do that. That sounds awesome." I mean, that just kind of seems like. A really cool job unless this happens <laughs> yeah uh, so he told the other technicians make sure the power stayed on and that no one touched the controls no one tripped the power cord and then in classic slapstick form oh god he was deep inside the model when the power went out in the entire <gasps> studio so he heard the hydraulics start to power down and the whole model started to shift and move around him and he said he 
pulled his arms and legs into the fetal position and tried to hunker down into the biggest cavity he could find as the metal pieces and hydraulics crunched down and sheared all around him. Oh, my god! somebody shouted, there's someone inside the T-Rex! <laughs> so... And it wasn't in, it wasn't until the model came to a complete stop that he realized he wasn't going to get chewed up and eaten by the world's largest mechanical actor in film history. And then the crews had to pry the jaws open and let him out since uh, the only way in or out was through the thing's terrifying jaws mouth was a hi- was a hydraulic teeth. Yeah, it was like a hydraulic. Um, what do they call those um, that like uh, emergency crews use to open up doors? The jaws of life. Uh. Something tells like... me they didn't do that because they could not risk. They're like, if it's a, if it's the difference between the mouth getting damaged or Alan Scott yeah. dying of mummification inside the puppet, they would probably have chosen option number two. I'd imagine. Couldn't really replace that T Rex. Oh my gosh! Maybe but, they uh, could have gotten the uh, T Rex Velociraptors to reenact the final scene and get the Velociraptor to pry open the jaws of the. T-Rex. Not through its rib cage. Yeah. Make it more cinematic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But from that point on, like anytime this thing glitched, it totally freaked everyone out. Okay. They all knew how powerful it was and they knew that it could crush or maim someone if it wasn't handled just right. And I always assumed that something like this might look scary on the screen, but, you know, like I said, presented very little danger to the actors and crew. And, uh, but, you know, that might just be some of that good old fashioned Hollywood delusion for you. It really puts into perspective the scenes where the kids are trapped in the car and the T-Rex digging into it with its jaws. And, you know, all that, it, all of this was to make this thing more realistic and director friendly as an on-screen robot. They basically built it so it would be easy to use and easy to direct, but it must've been insanely intimidating to work around if you're not in the director's chair and I love that they put those annoying kids into its warpath, honestly. That <laughs> okay, really so makes, <laughs> about that. the movie up for me. About that. Um, in uh, Jurassic Park, the movies that made us, great show on Netflix. Definitely check out this ap- episode if you're a Jurassic Park fan. On that note, uh, when they filmed that scene, they had discussed, because all the, like, the flesh, the skin, it was a lot of foam. And uh, I guess anytime there was, like, a, uh, a distant shot of the dinosaurs where you could see them like move at all or you could see their entire body their legs included that was cg but then when you had a close-up that was the puppets the t-rex puppet in the scene where the two kids are in the car now what was happening was they uh it was supposed to be raining to kind of set the mood and they had kind of discussed beforehand that like they knew that the rain could cause problems with the hydraulics so they were trying to not get it wet. But once they started shooting, it just kind of like all the rules went out the window. There was rain just like dumping on the entire set, including the hydraulic T-Rex. The so foam awesome. soaked up all the water and became extremely heavy, like thousands of pounds heavier than it was supposed to. Oh my! God. And it wasn't supposed to break that window on the car. That was completely unscripted. But the the t-rex was starting to get jerky and the hydraulics were not able to like support the weight of the waterlogged foam properly so the scene in the movie 
where the kids are screaming and they look like they are terrified and they're about to die. <laughs> that was actually, they thought, I mean, they were extremely terrified because the glass broke and it wasn't supposed to. And they used that scene in the movie. And I learned that from that wonderful Netflix show. And also another thing that was a great takeaway about that is they originally were going to do the action scenes using stop motion. And to see the guy that basically invented this like first CG model ever for movies was for Jurassic Park. And they didn't, they were like, you know, don't even waste your time in it. Like we got this master like claymation dude. And so he had to like, he spent like 11 months or something. I don't remember the specifics, but like building the CG model. And then he just like had it looping on like a video, like up on his desk when he knew the big bosses were going to come in and his immediate supervisor (laughs) that was shutting him down doing the CG like we just kind of had to roll with it because the the like big producer, one of the producers saw it and was like, what is that? That looks amazing. How did you do that? And then as soon as Steven Spielberg saw it, he was like, this is the future. This is incredible. This is, but now it's kind of up to this guy to like make every shot like CG. Uh, and it was a lot of pressure because they would, you know, they still didn't really figure out the mechanics of like how the dinosaurs moved, walked, ran, and so they would like tweak it over and over and over. And they just like have, you know, Steven Spielberg would be like, ah, it just doesn't look quite right. And you know how difficult it is, you know, to avoid the like uncanny valley of like animal motion. Like that's its own sort of. Well, luckily we have no frame of reference for how dinosaurs move. So that's it true. But you, that. you can still, you know, you, you see how like birds move, dogs move. It, we have some sort of frame of reference for just like how a creature of that size would carry itself. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, a movie made in, uh, what would you say, 1993 or something? Yeah, 93. I mean, it's, it looks great today. It, it changed filmmaking forever. It really did. putting that video up on the screen. It did. And I think... And he knew it. He, like, knows he's part of, like, legend. He's part of history, for sure. Yeah, changed, uh, not necessarily for the better, but I think why Jurassic Park holds up so well is their dedication to using animatronics for most of the film. Definitely. And then supplementing that with this state-of-the-art but restrained CGI. And totally. that's why 30 years later almost, that film still looks awesome. You oh, know, for it sure. It still looks... The, 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 the only thing that ever looks off to me is kind of like the... Uh, it's like the the compositing. Sometimes there's like yeah. the blacks in the... the computer animated models don't quite match the blacks in the background. Gotcha. And that's like I a know problem you, I know with those compositing scenes are talking. in general. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a problem that still happens today. So it's amazing that that problem wasn't super prevalent in this movie. And it's probably because, you know, there's only a couple of minutes of CGI on screen. Right. Most of it is animatronics. Yeah. Phantom Menace. Episodes one through three of Star Wars. We're looking at you. Oh, no. Too much CG. Uh, just a just a touch. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that to me. That's awesome. That's really Got it, cool. Buddy. So, what's on your content circuit? Um. So honestly, uh, it's been. Uh, you know, I was diving into this book, but I just like I don't have really the time. Um, to really dedicate. So my my content circuit lately has been. Uh, fun animated shows to watch basically while I'm 
uh, either commuting or I'm falling asleep to help me just like unwind at the end of a day. Um, but the ones are it's a hard recommendation to make. Recommendation to make is content I fall asleep. I, to. You know, I I still <laughs> only watch like good content. I mean, I manifest is kind of on that line of like it's a little cheesy and dramatic, and it helps me fall asleep because I'm not as engaged with it. I just like it's kind of a throwaway distraction, but it, it helps me to fall asleep. It's it's a bad habit to like literally lay my head on the pillow with the I- breeze iPad streaming Netflix in my face to help me fall asleep. But it does work. It's very effective to relax me um, and cut my mental distractions. The um, But the two shows that I've really enjoyed, uh, both animated, Rick and Morty and What If. So Rick and Morty oh, I've been watching watch on what HBO. If. What If is the uh, Marvel animated kind of multiverse spinoff um, on Disney plus they're both just like very just fantastic I can't believe Rick and Morty I don't know I, so many people have recommended Rick and Morty to me over the years and I did try like I watched like an episode or two and I just found like the main protagonist like very off-putting and I didn't want to continue watching it I mean I, he is just kind of an off-putting character in general but I felt I his like burping noises and like he just I don't know it it didn't make me want to watch it more. And now since revisiting it, I uh, I became totally obsessed with it. I've watched like, I think the three seasons that I can watch on HBO. I think there's a fourth season. I don't know how to access it. I need to watch it all. Um, but it is, uh, it's just as fantastic as all the raving uh, fans say it is. It's, it's like a work of genius. Like it's, it's really good. I haven't really watched it other than clips, and I know that if I do, I'm going to get totally into it. I don't know why I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but it's definitely on my list. I'm just not sure where it lies on my priorities right it make, now. Yeah. I, I probably I just need you. to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, just it, do it. it makes, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know, like, I, I was just never somebody that, like, I have so many friends that, like, our friend Derek and you that fell in love with The Simpsons growing up, and, like, you know, I watched a little Family Guy. I watched a little Futurama. I was never that into South Park. The Simpsons just kind of like missed me during that like age. Um, so I just, you know, don't watch a ton of animated stuff. I didn't grow up watching a ton of cartoons except like a select few. Um, so I don't usually seek it out. But this is truly something special. Like it is definitely transcendent. Uh, it's a transcendent form of content for sure. So I'm really happy I, I checked it out. And then the Marvel dude. What if the last episode that I just watched? It's like, what if the Avengers were zombies? It's like, oh, yeah, that's a classic storyline from Marvel. So good, ah, man. absolutely. What if loved is definitely it. way up on my list. Yeah, it's, I just haven't got to it yet. It's good. Well, there you uh, go. Well, that's, that's about it. Those are both really good recommendations, Brett. I, I only brought one thing to talk about, but have you seen the Matrix Resurrection trailer? <sighs> I, I was going to mention it. I actually mentioned <laughs> a bit of it in my content piece. Um, it looks really good. Yeah, I'm I so wasn't excited. Expecting, you know, after like uh, revolutions and whatever, what, I mean, know what the the second I don't know what, no called. one no one cares. I yeah, I, no I, one cares. I do think two and three are like rewatching them recently. I do think they were they are better than I remember. They're like kind of challenging movies to understand. They're not as like I don't know. They they just they're it, it, they're not as good as the first. 
The action well, scenes are theory. great. Yeah. Uh huh. My theory is that what made the first Matrix so fascinating was the act of pulling back the curtain. And then when you get to the second and third one, the curtain's gone. You're seeing everything that's going on behind the scenes, which that stuff is interesting like as far as like a world building practice or like, uh, I guess, yeah, just like as, as a form of world building, it's great. You know, it's very well thought out, but it's not as interesting as watching Mr. Anderson slowly figure out and kind of go through the, the kind of evolution that anyone bored with their suburban life or whatever, you know, it's like cushy life in America, like, um, just ready for something crazy to happen. And that, you know, it totally feeds that fantasy, same way totally. kind of Avatar does. And the totally. other two movies didn't really feed the fantasy that way. I know that's what fascinated me about The Matrix. And it looks like with Matrix Res- Resurrection, the story is kind of going back that direction because it looks like in the trailer, M- Mr. Anderson is back into The Matrix. He doesn't know that he was ever Neo or maybe he hasn't been Neo yet. It's not really clear. And it looks like kind of a return to form with the first movie, which okay, who, just looks what's great. the What's the bad guy's name in the first one? Uh, uh, cryptic? No. Cypher. Cypher. So, um, you know when Cypher's making the deal with Mr. Anderson and is saying like, I want to... Uh, Agent Smith. Agent Smith, sorry. He's like, I, I want to come back as somebody famous, somebody rich. I don't want to remember a thing. Like an actor. Like an actor. So Someone important. So the... Um, uh, some eagle-eyed um, trailer fans, <laughs> eagle-eyed ear. <laughs> no, these eared. these actually were eagle eyes that they were. Uh, I gotcha. <laughs> that they were um, utilizing. So they noticed that in the, a screen, like a projector screen, there's a movie playing in one of the scenes within the Matrix Four universe, and it is the original Matrix playing on the screen. So this is a universe now in which the Matrix movie was made. And so somebody has a theory that this isn't just like Whoa. like Neo is like dreaming things. He's actually like an actor. Like Keanu Reeves might be an actor playing Neo or something. I don't know. There's like it's I think it's going to be very, very meta, very mind blowing and pretty exceptional. And the action shots looked fantastic. I cannot wait to see it. It looks fantastic. Well, to throw more fuel on the fire of speculation, uh, I'm not sure who the new actor is, but uh, they recast Morpheus. It's not Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. The new actor, yeah. whoever it is in the in the trailer, he's playing like a younger yes. Morpheus. Right. So that definitely, it makes the timeline very confusing, which is kind of their forte in the Matrix. Totally. I, I mean, I, I'm so stoked. I cannot oh, wait. So stoked. I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. I'm a big trailer guy. And that's a yeah. That's I, what I I'm think we had a trailer on the on the <laughs> content circuit. It doesn't seem like meaty enough, but it's that was some of these can I be pretty meaty excited. for sure. Well, awesome, Big old girthy trailers. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back. We'll get right into the content. What are some assumptions people make about you? What do they assume about you because of your profession, appearance, hobbies, or tastes? And how many of those assumptions are actually wrong? My name is Dave Kimball, and I'm the host of the Don't Assume podcast, a weekly show where my friends and I lay out all of our assumptions about one topic a week and invite in guest experts to validate or refute those assumptions. So if you want to check your own assumptions about doctors, racial division, skydiving, guns, flight attendants, or any number of other topics, Come check us out at at Don't Assume Podcast on Instagram and Facebook 
and find the Don't Assume podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you like to listen. The Don't Assume podcast is streaming now. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, you've really been building this one up. <laughs> you say as that every we week. occasionally do. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, this, is one I re- this is one I really like. Yeah, for like three days now, you're like, oh my God, this might be the greatest thing ever. It's, it's, Can't wait to do this one. I'm pretty excited. I've been kind of like, like sitting on this egg of an idea for a while and it finally hatched. Ooh, yeah! Nice penguin metaphor. Thank you. Wait. Uh, okay. <laughs> sure. Well, you're a man. The male penguin sits on the. Oh, air. wow! That was actually uh, <laughs> a zoologically correct reference there. So I jo- know my my egg hatching <laughs> trivia. So, Josh, I am going to steer this content vessel right off the beaten path with reckless abandon, and I know you do enjoy a bumpy ride, unless it's on your one wheel. Good thing the egg's already hatched. <laughs> Good thing. So I want to uh, begin my content piece by conjuring up some imaginary hypothetical criticism because sometimes the format of the show is a little more fun if you have an <laughs> enemy to argue with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so these uh, potentially uh, or these potential close-minded but totally fictional critics of mine, they might not label what I'm about to talk about as content. These pretentious, annoying, unattractive buzzkills that always seem to disagree with what I'm about to argue (laughs) sometimes have a very narrow view of what content can be. You're the one with the degree here. (laughs) That's it. That's what I tell them. I always lead my, I show my imaginary critics my imaginary degree. So they, because there's always a them in the ongoing us versus them saga, they. That's finger quoting. Yeah, I am. That's right. They might consider my chosen content topic at best, maybe contained in content or maybe content adjacent. I think I've said that on the show before. At worst, they might have the audacity to call it a performer just doing a bit. Well, those people are good for only one thing, Josh, setting me up for my intro. Because (laughs) (laughs) although I might not, I, I might not always agree with those blowhards. On that last point, they they actually have made a, a bit of a a bit of a good point if they actually existed because what I'm about to talk about is sort of just a performer doing a bit. But if you are this performer and you continue to do this sort of surprise bit over and over in various forms of entertainment spanning across several different content mediums, I would and will argue you have created a branch of entirely independent content even if it's mostly in the background, because that's kind of the point. Today, I will be talking about cameo Matt Damon. <laughs> Ooh, uh, like Thor Ragnarok. Oh, it's on my list. <laughs> I got one of them. You got one of them right <laughs> off the bat. Yeah. There's so many. I'm, I'm about to say, blow your if, mind. If this was uh, just all about the Dave Matthews band performances you attended, I was going to oh, snap God. my microphone in half. <laughs> But I like where this is going. <laughs> Cameo Matt Damon. So I have five specific instances to discuss here, okay? I picked a trash movie, a funny movie, 
two Marvel movies, and a Christopher Nolan masterpiece. Each one of these films supports my thesis, and in uh, a few cases, cameo Matt Damon is actually the biggest highlight of some of these films. Can I see if I can guess another one? Go for it. Road Trip. Uh, you're uh, okay. So I think you're thinking of Euro Trip. Euro Trip. Euro Trip. That's the one. Yeah. That, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Is that one of them? Yeah. Don't talk about it yet, though. We're gonna get there. <laughs> okay. It's okay, on my good. list. I just, I just want. I'm trying yep. to put my contentology degree to work. Okay. So do you know? Do you know the box. The, I like it. I like it. Do you know the Christopher Nolan one? I see. I failed at this trivia. I failed at the Walking Dead, the, the easiest oh, contentology trivia trivia ever. But let uh, me think. Uh, Christopher Nolan. Um, let's see. I don't think it's Batman. I'm thinking it might be. Is he in one of the suits in Tenet, in one of the gas mask suits? All right, we'll get to it. I like okay. I like that you don't know this because you'll you're gonna kick yourself for sure. Okay, so oh man, <laughs> all right. Okay, so um, before I go through my personal favorite CMD list, I want to tune you into the sheer magnitude of CMD events or Cameo Matt Damon events by pointing out that Cameo Matt Damon, as far as I can tell, has actually appeared in well over a dozen films and TV shows. I believe at least fifteen. It's like this is so far that we know of. It is very hard to track down uh, because he he like does a lot of voice acting too and some animated features, video games. But I at least fifteen like legit uh, CMD events out there. So here I would it, say uh-huh. voice acting probably doesn't count for a list like this. I didn't I didn't include it, so I agree with you. Um, but that's why it's so hard because like some of it is like he's kind of playing a background role, but I don't consider that a cameo. But I did kind of. Even I have changed the definition of what most of these, you know, if you look up like Matt Damon cameo, there are there are a few articles about this. I'm not the only one to notice how fantastic this is, um, but I have added to the list based on my own kind of personal reinterpretation of the word cameo. But uh, so here are the ones um, that I think are like officially uh, CMD events. That I, I will not be deep diving <laughs> into these, um, but these, I just want to put them on the episode for posterity. So, fi- well, yeah, we need a frame of reference. Totally. So, Finding Forrester, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, The Third Wheel, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Jersey Girl, Youth Without Youth, Arthur, yes, Arthur the animated cartoon where he p- played like a weird animal-human hybrid mashup of himself, uh, Entourage, he also plays himself, House of Lies, Happy Feet 2, this is some voice work, but he's like Krill number two, so I'm going to call it a cameo. Uh, probably, you probably <laughs> like that one because of the penguin reference. Absolutely. Uh, the Majestic, Unsane. SNL, I'm going to put it on there uh, because it's on some of these lists, but I don't love it because everyone's like, if you're not part of the SNL cast, you're a cameo on SNL, but it was, whatever, SNL. Unless he was like a surprise pop in on just he one, was. a one off. He was, for sure. Skit, yeah. 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 That's a cameo. I think it was, I think the one on, the, on these lists is when he played Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and so finally, um, and this, I, I added this one uh, several hilarious Jimmy Kimmel episodes. So they have this like, infamous ongoing feud where Matt Damon has constantly, uh, he's, he's always bumped from the show. Every show, that Jimmy Kimmel's <laughs> done for like 10 years. At the end of the show, Jimmy always says like, 
Well, we ran out of time for our next guest, Matt Damon. Maybe he'll be here next time. He says it every time. <laughs> but then they, they'll do like, uh, I don't know, every funny. once every couple of years, there'll be like a really good like Matt Damon skit. And one of them um, is a Sarah Silverman song. And it's called uh, I'm Effing Matt Damon. I don't know if you've seen this, but like, so Sarah Silverman is Jimmy Kimmel's real life ex. And, um, there, there's like a song where Sarah Silverman wants to like, she was like reminiscing about the past and wanted to sing Jimmy Kimmel's song. And she just starts singing about how (laughs) she's, uh, having sex with Matt Damon. And then Matt Damon pops into the song and starts singing it too. It's quite hilarious. (laughs) Sarah Silverman's amazing. Um, and also a little Euro trip throwback. Right exactly. There. Exactly. So this is the, this is great. This is the, ref, this is the cameo that you're familiar with. I'm glad this is in my top five list. So, uh, the other one, uh, for Jimmy Kimmel, there was a whole episode where Matt Damon like replaces Jimmy Kimmel. He's like tied up in a chair or like duct taped to a chair. He's kind of kidnapped style. And Matt Damon is the host and he completely takes over the show. And his monologue is about like, How's it to have somebody smart and funny actually hosting the show, you know, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's a great um, sort of ongoing cameo feud. So with that out of the way, probably uh, like real life best friends or something. It's hard to say, because like, as you, as you are probably going to learn and probably already know, like Pat Damon seems like a great guy, but he's very good at playing an asshole. He's a fantastic actor. And it seems like he and Jimmy really don't get along, but they're, I'm sure they're just having fun. That sounds like acting to me. <laughs> I'm that sure that you wouldn't have like your your world's worst enemy take over your show. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm sure Jimmy Kimmel has some say in when his friend comes on for this ongoing joke. Maybe they're maybe they're just like neutral though, but they just like are doing it for like media attention. The yuck yucks. I don't know. I don't think I. They do actually seem like uh, two pretty funny dudes doing like funny pranky shit with each other. Okay. BFFs. So I got that out of the way. Uh, so here is my list of top favorites. Uh, the the top five that I really selected um, to to dive into cameo Matt Damon. So my trash movie right off the bat, Euro Trip. So let's That's a good one. Let's get That's this not out trash. Of okay. So this was <laughs> the funny. only this was the only movie on my list that I wasn't intimately familiar with. I'm pretty sure that I had seen this a long time ago. I remember certain memorable, quotable moments and scenes about the safe word and about the like. I don't know. A lot Scotty of he doesn't know a lot of a lot of breasts. Um, so I, re- I I couldn't really remember the film though, and I knew this was a big cameo. So I rewatched some of the film recently. And I, I don't know if I would say good is like a word I would use to describe. You made out with your sister. <laughs> I don't know if I would call this movie good. I wouldn't even call it a, a movie or a film. I would call this a flick. And I, and like rewatching it for purely contentology research purposes. Um, I'm, I realize like I'm, I'm sure I'm going to offend some people. I'm sure there's some people out there that love Euro Trip. It sounds like you're one of my thoughts. I thought. <laughs> Euro trip heads. <laughs> I thought the people that liked this movie would be like twenty something frat bros that love like cheap laughs, sexist humor. I don't know, man. It's not for me. But the one majorly redeeming quality, this CMD event is so notable in the film. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. And it's worth guess what? You don't have to sit through the entire awful movie to or not good, not good flick. Uh, to enjoy this cameo Matt Damon. It's in the first like 
10 minutes, I think, eight minutes. Now, keep in, keep yeah. in mind, I also have a contentology degree, and I'm saying your trip is one and a half thumbs up. <laughs> that is, I, I don't well, know where you know that what? is on the scale, but it's... It's right in the middle. Did you uh, cut that you know thumb off like or are you about... just holding it halfway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got it. The CMD events, you know what I like about this? I think your trip might have been the first movie that ever made me think that. And then also Thor Ragnarok where I was like, is that Matt Damon? Yeah. Exactly. Like every time it happens. And I think uh, <laughs> as far as setting that precedent, Eurotrip is a full three thumbs up right, for setting CMD Absolutely. Absolutely. This was a very important one on my list. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen this, or for those of you that have but don't remember like I didn't until I rewatched it. So Matt Damon is the singer of this like trashy rock band. He's named Donnie. And a pivotal setup in this movie is the major protagonist, Scotty. He gets dumped by his girlfriend like right out of the blue, right at graduation. And like 15 minutes later and, you know, in their graduation, She's on stage <laughs> gyrating with Matt Damon with like neck tattoos, like, you know, uh, lip piercings playing Donnie and Donnie at the start dedicated the song to like the freakiest, dirtiest <laughs> girl that he knows. And she jumps on stage and the song is called Scotty doesn't know. And everybody's singing. And it's like, they all know the lyrics. <laughs> it's, it's, we did it on his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so brazenly like trashy and over the top and so and like that is the style of the euro trip movie is like over the top kind of tra- like kind of trashy but leaning into it but this it like really works and it's it's really like by far the best part of the movie um so i'll link that to the show notes um okay we're gonna move on my funny movie is team america world police Oh, I didn't know there was a cameo in so, that one. Well, this but they're is, all puppets. This is so. an interesting uh, inclusion uh, because it, it is technically not a Matt Damon cameo. However, I'm adding this because it doesn't just not fit into my insane narrative, but it actually supports it because cameo Matt Damon has become so prevalent that he even will appear as a puppet out of the blue with no relevance to the s- story or narrative playing himself. I remember now. So yep. I so th- they're mocking him. Yeah, they're they're well. Matt I'm gonna Damon get into this. Came from that. I'm gonna get into this because it's very interesting. So I found this great article about how Matt Damon felt about his portrayal, because anyone who's seen Team America can imagine that Matt Damon like would be kind of offended by this. Like it's really, it's like really strange. It's like memorable but strange. And they it made his name a catchphrase. They, they made his name a catchphrase. Yeah. Like, very... And for a while, I couldn't, like, think or say Matt Damon without thinking, like, Matt Damon. Exactly, yeah. And See, it didn't even occur to me. I was like, <laughs> that didn't even... For some reason, that didn't even pop into my head. Yeah. Until you started talking about it a little bit, a little bit more. I'm like, oh, yeah. That's, like, something they say, like, a hundred times in that movie. Totally. So... Uh, the interesting thing is, I'm gonna li- check out this article. It's really interesting. So Matt Damon was asked in an interview about his feelings about this. Now, um, he wasn't really against being the butt of a joke, but he also didn't really laugh uh, along with everyone else. Apparently, he said that he was really always kind of bewildered by it. That was the word that he used. <laughs> so he felt like he had this like really eloquent way of saying that he felt like it's hard for celebrities to understand what their images are in public. It's hard to judge your self-image as a celebrity. 
And so he's seeing himself on screen, not even being able to say his own name. And he's thinking to himself, like, wow, is this how people perceive me? He's like, I'm a screenwriter. I'm an actor. And like, really? I can't even like say my name. Uh, And the weird thing in that same like sentence, he called Trey and Matt, the creators of South Park and of Team America. um, He called them absolute geniuses. He said he doesn't throw that word around. He doesn't take it lightly. But he said he never talked to them about this, but he was always bewildered. So the interesting trivia um, that I don't think Matt Damon knew about this at the time, but it's kind of come to the it's kind of bubbled up to the surface. But um, I don't know if you know this. But it really has, no, it has nothing to do with any perception of what Damon was like or what people might see Matt Damon as. What happened was the puppet that they designed to be Matt Damon in the film, it didn't come out right. It was like left in the oven too long or something. <laughs> looks stupid. It looks weird. It like kind of looks bad. And they didn't have time to rebuild the puppet. So they just like used the weird looking Matt Damon puppet and just made the Matt Damon character in that movie stupid to match the like <laughs> physical features of it. I wonder what it was going to be if it had come out dashingly handsome. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So it's a great article about this in the show notes. Matt Damon really like he truly seems like a very thoughtful, well-spoken genius. So I can only imagine being like, huh, like. Are these guys lampooning me? Because I really like their work. And he like didn't seem to take it personally. Anyway, check it out. It's kind of interesting. Okay. Now on to two of my favorites. The Marvel movies. So we have Deadpool 2 and Thor Ragnarok. Are you familiar yeah. with Deadpool 2? I didn't know. I've only seen that movie once. And uh-huh. uh, I, I've watched it in like fits and starts yeah. for some reason. Even though it's so good. It's I need very to go back good. and watch it again. Yeah, I, d- I don't remember the the cmd event in that well this one is hard to spot buddy (laughs) it's hard to spot so deadpool 2 is a great one because it's actually it's like an easter egg for matt damon cameo hunters like myself so uh deadpool 2 is the really the perfect format for great cameos of any sort like this because it's so self-referencing and meta you know it's a movie that breaks the fourth wall and just all these things that the character and the right the writers of Deadpool and of course Ryan Reynolds, who was literally like created in a Hollywood super lab to play Deadpool, like they pull this off with this with this movie with this character. So I'm not sure uh, you, you remember this scene at all, but right before Cable, aka the non Thor Josh Brolin, he warps into being from a different time. There are these two hillbilly types sitting at their truck talking about toilet paper. Does this ring a bell? <laughs> no. But also, uh, uh, Josh Brolin was Thanos, not Thor. <laughs> I was tired when I wrote this. Here come uh, the emails. Oh, my gosh. The non-Thanos Josh Brolin. Of course, I know that. This is like me calling Mr. Smith Mr. Anderson. Words are hard, in time, though. but I know what I'm we talking about. Oh, my gosh. Whew. Okay. Thanks for the save. Thanks for the save. Harvard's on the phone yeah. right now. You know what? That What's great about Deadpool 2 is like... Uh, Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, his character in Deadpool 2 actually set like calls Josh Brolin Thanos at some point. It's like <laughs> oh, very, man. you know, it's very um breaking the fourth wall stuff. It's good stuff. Hey, speaking of breaking the fourth wall, I just learned where that term comes from. Do you know the Yeah, so like of that term? Yeah, I think so like in uh in it's in play acting and yeah, you know, exactly. when you're watching a play, there's an imaginary wall between you 
and the actors and like you know at some point some style of acting the performers would like you know look to the audience and make a connection with you and like suddenly they were bringing you into the narrative or they were speaking directly to you and so that's uh, breaking the fourth wall and it's it's not done well like in mo- like it's a weird you know it's a weird thing and but Deadpool is like it, it's always been that in the comics and it just like works so well in those movies it's awesome it's like a case study of how to do it correctly but yeah, i really totally. love learning the etymology oh, of totally. that because I mean, you just hear like the fourth wall, breaking the fourth wall. You hear it all the time and just it doesn't seem like it really means anything other than what they're saying it means. But it's cool to see there's actually like a history of how that term came to be. I really like that. Well, here's well, you're going to like this then. Uh, Have you ever heard uh, break a leg? You know, they tell a performer to break a leg. Yeah, break a leg. Yeah. Yeah, So that's uh, there's like a if you bow in a certain way. Because you did like good performance and you bow and you have like one leg straight, but you bend at the waist. They call that breaking a leg. So you like bend one knee, you keep one knee straight, I think, and you kind of bow. Um, and so that's uh, it's called breaking a leg. They're not physically intending you harm, unless the mafia Fractures. is funding your <laughs> yeah. play. Hey man, be sure to break a leg, okay? <laughs> is that your best I, mafia I, impression? <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so <laughs> forget about it. So they, so they, these two hillbillies, the hillbill, the hillbilly on the left is talking about the big lie about toilet paper and how it does not really do the job that it's promised to do. It's merely the appetizer for Huggies Natural Care Wet Wipes. That's the main course. <laughs> so this guy, this guy is like a butt cleaning, rear pampering aficionado, and he makes a great point. He said he's like, if he, he says if you got shit on your face you wouldn't just what would how would you get it off you wouldn't just get a square of toilet paper and wipe it down your face Who and get it all with one get, square get it all or just like you know, would take a bunch of toilet paper just rub it down your cheek yeah. and into your beard he's Smear like you it. would get some soap and you'd get some hot water <laughs> and you'd like wash your face and so like the toilet paper can get some of it off but then you need something like moist so the you know, other- <laughs> if your butthole had taste buds, the ability to see, or olfactory receptors, we do the same thing everyone would on their buttholes. (laughs) All right. Well, you have a lot in common with this character. I think you've given this a lot of thought. So this this gentleman is played by a totally unrecognizable Matt Damon, and he's talking to another one of my favorite actors who's slightly more recognizable, um, Alan Tudyk. I think that's how you say his last name. So, I think he's in Firefly. Yes. Yeah. So he's best yeah. known in my universe for playing Joss Whedon's uh, Wash on the TV series Firefly. Yeah. Uh, he played a K2SO in Rogue One. He was in A Knight's Tale. Um, and, but he's now he's like the other hillbilly uh, opposite of uh, Toilet Paper Matt. And he's feeling really uncomfortable about the direction of this conversation. It's a marvelous, like, blink and you miss it scene. Ooh, but good it's pun. It's, uh, yeah. I did. I did. Uh, I did. Uh, that In wasn't your notes, intended. Did pun. you? Uh, did you bold the word Marvel? <laughs> no, I didn't. Because uh, I when I when we covered Black Panther, I think that I had like Marvel is like all typed out like that, and I'm just gonna say Ugh. that was marvelous. <laughs> yeah, Gross. I didn't want to have to like Marvel and, and wink Ding! like those of you. <laughs> Brett's winking at me. Okay, so my personal favorite was one that you've already mentioned. It's his portrayal of Loki and Thor Ragnarok. Uh, he's literally 
uh, playing an actor playing Loki in one of the best and funniest meta Marvel scenes. I mean, I, I, I've talked about this before. I think Thor Ragnarok's in like my top five. I don't know. I feel like all of the like weirder Marvel movies are always like vying or like, I don't know, the more like unique Marvel movies are always like vying for the top five. But Thor Ragnarok is like solid and they're probably top three. So good. You know, I have been a little remiss ever since our Black Panther episode for not putting uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier on my, I think we did a top five or something that in that episode. And I, afterwards I was like, man, I can't believe I missed that movie, putting it on my top five list because that is also (sighs) one of the best, I think. And I think it also, kind of stands alone as being like more of a spy thriller than it totally. is like a, a superhero movie. And not many Marvel movies are like that. It's, it's a, that's a good that's one. That's great. Up on the list. That's a great. That's what's great about all these is they all have their different style and, and they just, there's so many good ones that it's like hard to pick a top five. Cause like they sometimes like change places for me when I like revisit one and I was like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot how much I enjoyed Iron Man two. Nope. That's not on them. <laughs> that's not one of them. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be a iconoclast and say, yeah. I actually like Iron Man. I, two. I actually like Iron Man two, but it's, it's not in my top. It's not in my top. There's too many, it's like not there. storytelling things that like, weren't revisited later like Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, Pepper Potts becoming a superhero that wasn't really explored later I don't know that's Iron Man 3 oh is it okay yeah what was the premise of Iron Man 2 again I don't Iron Man 2 is with, oh uh, with yeah Flash. oh I, you know, I like and, that uh, one too yeah Justin Hammer yeah Hammer Justin Tech. Hammer yep yeah okay I did I, I was thinking of Iron Man 3 that's the one that's well, like a little lackluster for me well 2 is like kind of universally lambasted but it I think is it's, you're right fantastic movie i watched it yeah. right when disney plus came out because i didn't have access to it before and i like i could not wrap my head around why everyone thought it sucked so hard you know i watched thor the dark world recently and i thought it was pretty good i, I still have done that and yeah. i don't think i ever will <laughs> yeah that's okay you're not missing much it's <laughs> <laughs> just some weird backstory stuff some natalie portman stuff all right so uh the scene with uh cameo matt damon playing an actor, playing Loki, with Loki pretending to be, um, who's their father? Uh, Odin. Odin. Uh, you know, he's like shape-shifted to Odin at this time. I mean, this this like whole scene really sets the tone for Thor Ragnarok as being like the sly, the funny, the tricky, the deep. Uh, I mean, it's like a, a funny, mischievous moment, and that's just like, it's so representative of the anti-hero of Loki and his mischievousness. So finally, the mask well, uh-huh. before you yeah. before you oh, go finally. Yeah. <laughs> I want to we should play a little game. You should narrow let's say maybe like eight Christopher Nolan movies, narrow it down and I have to try to guess. What? Oh. Uh, really? You want to Okay. All right. No, not actually eight cuz that's how many there are. Uh don't do that. Narrow it down to three. See if I can guess. I was going to see if you knew how many Christopher okay. Nolan movies there are with my reference. Let's see. Um, Inception, Dunkirk, Interstellar, The Dark Knight, Tenet. It's in one of those. Wait, I have to guess from five? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to actually go with Inception. Wrong. Matt. <laughs> Matt Damon was the top, the spinning top in Inception. <laughs> so- <laughs> oh, man, he's good. <laughs> So convincing. It's called acting, people. <laughs> so the masterpiece 
of CMDEs or Cameo Matt Damon events. Interstellar. No. Oh, you're. Oh, you're right. He actually plays a significant part in that. Okay, but guess that I'm gonna defend the cameo term. So this. Well, no, it is a cameo. Uh, okay. But he's like I'm a glad you agree. Character. I thought I, I thought he's... I was gonna have to like defend my stance here because he he wasn't just like like you said he played a pivotal role. So this but he's only on screen for like eight minutes or so, maybe not even that long. That's not why I like think that. uh, that's not why I'd consider this a cameo. So. So this was definitely a surprise, right? So I am not somebody, as we already mentioned, that avoids trailers. Although I was reading about this on Reddit recently. I think this is an interesting strategy. There was somebody on like a movie fan page that said they avoid all trailers for all movies and shows that you already know you're going to see. It's like you don't need to be convinced. You know you're going to go see the movie. So what he would do in theaters is he said he would just like close his eyes or look at the floor. And he's like, the previews will not spoil anything uh, just by sound. Like, you're, it's just too confusing um, to really, like, have any in spoilers. In a world. But... In a time. <laughs> it's all you hear on trailers. I thought you were going to say that he was spoiling the trailers for everyone around him by oh, going, no. la, 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 while no. the trailers no. were playing, so he didn't no, so he just like, He wouldn't see... He just, just... He doesn't watch trailers. I like the thought of this, because really, like... Trailers can spoil like really cool plot points and fun surprises, but I'm just like I don't have that kind of self control. I'm not that guy. Like you can't have a bowl of M and M's on the like counter and I'm not going to eat it for a week. Like that's crazy. Like I've already I watched the Spider Man No Way Home like crappy bootlegged leaked trailer. Uh, I could even wait the next day when they dropped the like HD official trailer. I've already watched the Matrix Four trailer like. One zero one one zero zero one zero numbers of times. Uh, I don't really mind spoilers that much, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, I don't, but like, I like this guy's strategy. Well, anyway, I, I'm just not him. So Christopher Nolan trailers, man. I could like put that stuff on repeat. I could watch those all day, just like playing in the back. It's like content for. I could watch just Christopher Nolan trailers. So Christopher Nolan, he did more than just keep this Matt Damon character out of the trailer, he kept this casting decision completely secret. Nolan, literally, he wanted to deploy one of his signature movie-making devices or elements, which is this idea of an unreliable narrator device. I don't know if you've uh, heard about this or thought about this. So, Christopher Nolan... Contentology school, I've heard of it. Yeah, of course. It was like... Uh, you were in class un- with me. <laughs> unreliable nar- un- narrator one hundred and one class. That's right. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was just you and me. Actually, I think there. it was a soft. I think it was a sophomore class. It's like it gets a little more high level stuff. But totally. Chris- Christopher Nolan kind of uses this device to make like trust difficult in uh, the in, you know in the movie that you're watching. Well, he literally like pulled this device with his audience in the real world by making Matt Damon a surprise to moviegoers. So, like, obviously, you've seen the movie. You know he's not just playing a, a, a small background role. It's, like, pretty pivotal. But because you don't see it coming, that's, for me, it's dropped right in there like the others. Totally surprised. That's why I'm definitely calling this a cameo. And it's one of the best moments in a film that's just a bunch of best moments strung together. Like, Interstellar is fantastic. I love it. It engages me from beginning to end. Um, and it's one of the best moments in a fantastic movie is like Matt Damon being dropped on you. And like his turn. Totally. Really cool. I mean, isn't he kind of the reason they're out there? One of the reasons, right? Totally. Well, he was like sending 
He's like one of the scientists that was like saying the planet they, that they were on was like really habitable. Um, you know, it was like um, they were able to, um, uh, what do you call it, terraform it or something yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, y'all, I don't want to get into the plot too deep, but it's uh, Anne Hathaway's character had like a love interest that was another one of the astronauts. And she was like, you know, we have to follow our hearts. We have to follow love. We don't know what kind of messaging the universe is actually using over time and space. And he was like, we need to follow Matt da- or not Matt Damon. Matthew McConaughey is like, we need to follow the data. And this guy's got the good data. And they like both end up being like complete busts. And Matt Damon is like, you know, you mean Matt Damon? <laughs> Matt Damon, like he is, uh, you know, like a horrible, despicable character in Interstellar. But you like totally see his like rationale. He seems just like a really like traumatized, lonely, like just a dying animal, stranded. He's a stranded human on a horrible planet. Anyway, so I'm seeing a bit of a theme here. And well, before uh-huh, you move on, yeah. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Christopher Nolan made Unreliable Narrator the movie with Memento. Yeah, absolutely. Unreliable Narrator the movie. That's the subtitle for Memento. <laughs> yes. That is a movie like, you know, even though I'm a contentologist, that just means I'm good at appreciating things. It doesn't mean I understand them. I have to, I will just throw it out there. I'm not smart enough to understand Memento. I'm waiting to like watch the YouTube version that somebody like took all the clips and put it in proper chronological order. But oh, that exists. You I know. I know it exists. I haven't seen it. I need to watch it because like, I understand the basic plot, but I still can't follow it because I'm just not, I know there's probably some like cinephiles out there that, uh, like the, I think it was, uh, I remember seeing that way back in the day, like a supercut of just like kind of the, the, the primary story scenes all put in chronological order. And, I remember it not really having the same impact. Oh, like totally. The way he told that story. It's like Pulp Fiction. But it's see, awesome. But like, but I, it wouldn't be as good if it was in chronological order. Yeah. Same thing with Memento. So I feel like I watched that, uh, I think it was a World War II movie with Tom Hardy. I think it was Dunkirk, right? Dunkirk, yeah. And it, it was the same sort of like, um, you know, very broken up narrative storytelling device. And I guess like my brain is like not built very well that way. Like I can understand like, these like really weird, deep Rick and Morty concepts about like multiple universes and infinite possibilities. But when you start breaking up the timeline, it mess. It's like, I can't, re- I have like a bad sense of direction too. So I feel like it's like kind of similar. Like I really struggle to understand Memento and Dunkirk. And I, it like took away from my enjoyment of them because I like Inception. I loved Interstellar. I loved Tenet. I loved, which is also a weird one, but you can at least sort of follow it kind of. <laughs> yeah, Tenet I think is probably the most confusing. I've watched a lot uh, of YouTube videos Nolan movie trying to. Well, what I thought it. was awesome with with Tenet was that I mean it's super confusing, and I feel like you're supposed to feel confused up to a certain point, and then everything kind of starts rewinding and going in the opposite direction, and it kind of unfolds it. And towards the end, I felt like I had a a, a decent understanding of how the whole narrative played out. I've only seen it right. once. Well, what that helps, is what helps such a magic trick is you are following that protagonist's like linear timeline. Like even though he's moving forward through time and then back through time and forward through time, you're always on his shoulder watching his viewpoint. In Memento, you know, I mean, it captures the sense of like you have no idea what's going on because you wake up with the tattoo 
and a cut and a key and you don't know who you are. But like, I, I, it's hard for me to follow the plot. Great movie. Yeah, it's, but it's kind of over my head. That's all. I'm just putting it out there. He's definitely a kind of an over the head guy, (laughs) Christopher Nolan. He is. Okay, so uh, I'm I'm seeing a bit of a theme here. I I think I could be totally wrong about this, Um, but I what I walked away from in working on this outline is that Matt Damon usually plays a pretty reliable, trustworthy, intelligent, sensitive, thoughtful, honest type in his major roles. I, I think with some exceptions. I haven't seen every Matt Damon movie. I'm not like a Matt Damon super fan. I'm a, Damon cameo, I'm a cameo Matt Damon super fan. But <laughs> um, I, I, like, he seems like a really great guy in real life. Like his uh, That, that um, interview where he talks about his portrayal in Team America was fascinating. So like I feel like when he's in these like, these like trustworthy honest like roles i feel like he's kind of like pretty much playing himself or like an action version of himself in like jason Bourne movies but although his cameos they really do run the gamut from like dishonest astronaut scientists to crappy punk band uh lead singers to our favorite butt wipe obsessed hillbilly pal like he always (laughs) seems to be playing some type of asshole or he's being funny or both it seems to be one of the two, and I'm I'm trying to like disprove my theory, but um, and like I said, I'm I'm just speaking from my content heart of hearts at this point, and my heart of hearts is filled with CMDEs because whether he's being funny or being a total space dueling asshole, he pretty much steals the show every time. He always steals whatever scene he is cameoing. Is that Matt Damon? <laughs> is it? <laughs> I think that's my David. That's what, I, so, that's what I always think. So before I wrap up, I'd like to mention one more little piece of Cameo Matt Damon fun that I stumbled upon recently. Uh, a new Marvel star, Simu Liu. Um, he plays Shang-Chi in the recent uh, Amazingly Bad. I can't believe I didn't put this on my content circuit. I forgot to mention it. I watched it in theaters in L- LA, like I think like five days after it came out. Uh, so absolutely incredible amazingly badass kung fu style marvel movie it totally blew me away with how incredibly awesome it is so even simu the star of this movie he will back me up on the epicness of cameo matt damon's on a recent ask me anything ama on reddit uh when simu was asked what his favorite character from mcu phases one through three was he replied matt damon as loki and thor ragnarok (laughs) such a great answer (laughs) Um, that's awesome and by the way for all the redditors out there or just marvel fans i highly recommend checking out this simu liu ama it's on the marvel studios subreddit i'm gonna add a link to in the show notes i have to say it made me like 500 percent more excited to see this movie because he is just such a quick-witted intelligent hilarious human being uh now i want to watch like kim's convenience store he did tons of his own stunts he did tons of martial art training but in these in these uh, interview questions, he's just like you can tell he's shooting off the hip. He's talking from the heart. Some of his responses are just absolutely like mic droppingly good, hilarious. Um, and the movie it really blew my already high expectations out of the water, like the Chinese water dragon. It was so good. So to <laughs> to wrap up what is literally the pinnacle of my contentology studies, because it's all downhill from here. I'm never going to top content this good. Let's get into why I think this really appeals to me. Matt Damon is pretty darn good. Duh, yay, whatever. 
what makes Cameo Matt Damon truly transcendent and great for audiences and contentologists alike is you have this popular and recognizable A-list actor who has a wide range. He's featured in countless films, shows, everything. But when he appears in the background of our favorite content that is specifically not related to Matt Damon, except via a cameo, it's almost as if finding cameo Matt Damon is a prize, a treasure, and irl easter egg contained within our world of entertainment and whether he's playing himself or he's completely unrecognizable it always brings a funny twist to the story a smile to my face a glance at the person in the theater next to you like that just like you said was that my damon that look of cmd event buddy and he's like don't talk to me i'm trying (laughs) to watch this movie who are you why'd you sit so (laughs) close to me this is empty theater um it, it makes me feel like matt damon might just show up anytime Anywhere, doing just about anything you can think of. So yeah, for some, show up at your birthday party, he might. I would love a cameo Matt Damon at my birthday party. Singing uh, "Brett Doesn't Know." <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> Brett did <laughs> Bree dancing on stage. So for some, this kind of thing might go mostly unnoticed, or at least provide a quick chuckle and then fade into the background. But for me, and I can't help but think many, many others who are huge fans of these incredible cameo Matt Damon events, CMDEs. Those background moments leave an indelible impression in the foreground, and that's why I'm arguing that these quick, unexpected, and enjoyable moments in some of my favorite content are actually their own form of content, and it is content that's so good, it's worthy of the content clearinghouse. We are the definitive resource on great content. So Nobody else. Harvard you say made it, it official. It's true. <laughs> But you know what? This is actually really awesome. This is, oh man, so many things about doing this show with you that I love. And uh, one of them is truly the way that it's like changed the way I look at content. Uh, I think we have been pretty cut and dry, straight down the middle, traditional content until recently when we started to kind of hone the the format of this show a little bit and also you know, our eyes have been opened up. We didn't learn everything at Harvard. Some of the stuff we learned in the last year and a half. School of hard knocks, taking night classes. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, it's like we did that show about OK Go. And before I started writing that outline, I never really thought about their, like what they were doing as being like a form of content the same way that a movie is, but it really is. And this is the same kind of thing. Like this is like a performance art type of thing. And, it, you know, I'd be really curious to see, like, has anyone done an interview with him about why he likes to do all these cameos? Or you know, I, just- I didn't find, I wasn't looking for that specifically. That's very interesting. I didn't find anything like that in my Googling. I just found like a few like lists of his best cameos that just kind of provide like a little snippet of it. I found there's like a TikTok star which I did not know about this before um, I had this idea and wrote this outline. But then in doing the research for it, I, there's like a, a TikTok star that's like, you know, what's the deal with all these Matt Damon cameos? So like, I'm not the only person to have noticed this. Um, but uh, that would be interesting. I would like to know. Somebody should, if we had Twitter, we could tweet him. But I, I just like, I'm trying to stay off of social media more. And I'm not trying to get out on the tweets. Um but yeah, if an audience member wants to make that their mission, ask, find Matt Damon, ask Flip him. Flip six three hole, we're talking to you. Yeah, flip six three hole. It's up to you. 
get a hold of Matt Damon, get him on the line, ask him why he's doing all these cameos. Give, Book him on the show. Like a, give us a 60-minute soundbite. Um, <laughs> 60 minutes. <laughs> we'll release it unedited. <laughs> so um, uh, real quick, okay, go. So I, I flew with two flight attendants recently that I've become friends with. Uh, just these fantastic people um, based out in Arizona, Tadita and Angel. And um, so Tadita is Gen Z. And I think it's kind of interesting. Like she's very smart. She's a physics uh, she has her degree in physics. Uh, she's a wrinkle brain is what I would call her. But she's young. She's Gen Z. She's a totally different generation than like you, me, Brie. Actually, you're a, you're a, I'm a millennial. You're a Gen Xer. But um, but the uh, I, me- I, I mentioned see Jurassic Park in the theater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the old fart. So I mentioned OK Go in conversation on a trip uh, working with both of them. And I don't think either of them were familiar with OK Go. And I, I don't forget, I, or I don't remember the context of the conversation, but I feel like with Gen Z, uh, TikTok videos are like very, very popular. And this is kind of something I like, I like looked at it for like a day in COVID uh, lockdown. And then I was just like, eh, I don't get it. I don't need this. Not uh, for but me. this like, this like short form of like comedic, uh, like they're like sound bites with like visual musical and comedic elements i was like you guys should check out okay go because i think it would appeal to like the scientist in her but it's also very like visually stunning it has like a musical element so if we could just go get those darn gen zers to have an attention span longer than like seven seconds then they might enjoy some good (laughs) okay go (laughs) i'm not i'm not hating on any uh, this is not any generational um criticism at all um but I, I'm just happy that oh, you brought me OK Go, and now I'm like spreading the OK Go love out in the real world uh, outside of the contentology hat that I wear sometimes. I feel like OK Go is the kind of thing that if you just put it in front of someone, no matter who it is, they're going to love it. Like, yeah. It's just undeniable. Watching this Two Shall Pass the Rube Goldberg video. Yeah. If you don't like that, you don't have a soul. You know, <laughs> it's like that's... It, it, that should That's be like a litmus a, a, test for a psychopaths. No, it's like a litmus test for a vampire. You're like, oh, you're not even human. You don't like this. Do you the drink do- blood? The dog one. Uh, yeah. No, they're pretty fantastic. I can't wait to see Cameo Matt Damon pop up in an OK Go video. It's the kind of thing you might do. <laughs> uh, you never know. That's totally something they would do. You never know. Well, I never really thought about Cameo Matt Damon as being a thing other than. Uh, Thor Ragnarok style, you know, whatever. But uh, now that you've put a name on it and you brought it to my attention, and I know that there's more than just you like know it's, two or three. So that you I agree was aware with me? Of. It's an entire genre of content. Of course, Perfect. I'm contractually ob- obligated to agree with you. That's the secret of the show. But now I'm actually going to be, you know, putting a term on something is very powerful. And now that I know it's called a CMD event. I'm going to be looking for them, and I'm probably going to start seeing them all over the place. What about that cameo he did in uh, Goodwill Hunting? What do you think about that one? <laughs> Does not count. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah. Primary actor. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, I am willing to listen to somebody that will bend the term cameo a little bit like I did for Team America. If you can, if you could back up your term, uh, you know, if, if your usage of the word cameo... You know, language is a very fluid thing. Um, so I'm on board with that. But Goodwill Hunting, get out of here. A little bit of a stretch. A little bit of a stretch. Well, <laughs> thanks for bringing this. Uh, this is an awesome idea. I loved it. 
uh, sometimes it's good to step outside the box a little bit. So kudos to you. Thanks, you buddy. are a true contentologist. Oh shoot! In, uh, I should have hit the record button. Psych. Oh well. Just kidding. This will be a <laughs> interesting one-sided conversation. Let's do it again. All right. Well, uh, thanks for all that, buddy. Uh, loved it. That was a great episode. And thanks to everyone out there in podcast land for listening to the Content Clearinghouse. We love you. Please tell your friends about the show. We'd love to bump up the listener count a little bit and get CMDs on everyone's radar. <laughs> Uh, if you like funny stuff, uh, check out our Instagram and Facebook, uh, The Content Clearinghouse. We put some pictures up there, and Brett always writes really awesome, funny captions. I love it. I'm a, I'm a fan of our social media. And uh, also, email us specifically with your content recommendations at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. And stay tuned. Next week, we're going to be bringing fantastic, possibly redefining content recommendations right into your ear holes. 